0: Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bizarre. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncopharm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It's the last of October 2023. It uh, seems like it's been a little slow in the oncology uh, news world. Maybe we're seeing some effects from COVID with some, some slowdown in, in notable publications. Um, there's, a, there's a new myeloma drug out, phase one, phase two study in NEJM. Once and if that gets approved, we talk about it. But I want to talk about a couple, maybe under the under the radar uh, papers uh, that uh, that I, that kind of caught my eye that I think uh, are worth talking about. The first one here is uh, survival of patients with cancer uh, with DPYD variant alleles uh, and dose individualized fluoropyrimidine therapy: a matched pair analysis. And you can already guess, maybe by the title, if you're a devoted listener, that this is a Dutch paper. This was published in JCO um, uh, online uh, this week. So uh, these Dutch researchers have done, um, have done research before where they, they're looking at some of the recommended dose reductions for DPYD deficiency um, and to see how that compares... Uh, with, uh, with tolerability, uh, notably for, uh, for the STAR-2A allele. And they've actually looked at the, the 50% dose reduction that's recommended uh, by CPIC, uh, which is the, uh, the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium. Wonderful website to have bookmarked if you're dealing with, uh, with pharmacogenomics. Um, and, and they published some results. There's a, a study, the uh, ALPA-DPD study, uh, they've compared uh, the survival of, of 2A variants to wild-type patients uh, and have shown that you know they, they do similar. If you do this empiric dose reduction, uh, chipping away at some of the, uh, the argument against upfront genotyping everybody besides the safety concerns. Uh, what is less well-known is the survival compared to wild-type patients for some other variant alleles, and that's what they've done in this study. Uh, so they've taken uh, patients with uh, four different variant well types, uh, or four different variant DPYD uh, alleles. One of which, the C one six seven nine T to G, um, they had uh, they only had one patient, and they, they so they excluded that patient here. But we have our and these are our, our SNPs. These are our, these the, the variants C two eight four six A to T. So an adenine's been changed to a thymine. Um, that has uh, an activity score of 1.5, meaning like one, you have the one wild type allele, that's one, and then the other allele has like half activity, activity score of 1.5. Now, there's less than 1% of people, uh, if you look in the CPIC uh, variant allele frequency table, again, wonderful website, uh, that's less than 1% across all um, geographic populations, we'll say. Uh, the C1236G to A variant has an activity score of 1.5. Uh, that's somewhat prevalent, 2.4% frequency in a European population. And this is the, the CPIC nomenclature and data. Uh, Latino population, 0.5%. African-American, Afro-Caribbean, 0.3%. Uh, Central and Southeastern Asian, um, if I'm reading my, my notes correctly, 1.9%. So that one's somewhat common. And there's the DPYD star 2a, that's less than 1%, and the activity uh, of that has an activity score of one that's pretty well described, uh, and then uh, the other variant allele that only had one person in it that we won't talk about so much. But I do want to highlight the, the C.1236G to A allele, that's the one that's you know more common uh, of these uh, in the European population, 1236G to A, 1236G to A, because we'll come back to that. Now they talk how it would be kind of unethical to take these patients uh, where we know they have a deficiency of the rate-limiting um, metabolic step for Cape or fluorouracil, and to give them full dose and see how they do. So what they've done is they've done empiric dose reductions of 25% for the 2846A to T and the 1236G to A. And then a 50% dose reduction of star two which has been done before, and they're comparing the progress—not toxicity, but the progression-free survival and overall survival of these variant allele patients to matched wild-type patients, uh, primarily with these three uh, with these three variants. And so uh, we end up with only 93 patients with the in the variant allele category and 279 matched patients. So I think that's a three-to-one matching. Uh, half of these patients had metastatic disease. Two-thirds had colorectal cancer. A quarter, uh, exactly 25.8%, again, they're matched very well, received uh, monotherapy, fluoropyrimidine, so just capecitabine or 5-FU, uh, and 38.7% in each group received a CAPOX regimen. Another third received chemo radiotherapy from a... Uh, The frequency of alleles here, 25 of the 93 had the star 2A allele, they got the 50% empiric dose reduction of fluoroprimidine. The c 2846 a to t only 13 patients, they had a 25% dose reduction empirically. And then uh, we'll call this our wild card, the 1236 g to a had a 25% dose reduction. Again, that's the one that is prevalent in about 2.4% of a European population. Um, When we look at uh, our primary outcomes here, which is, you know, Kapmeyer curves of progression, free survival, overall survival, with some notable caveats. One, it's a matched paired analysis. They're actually, the control they're using are the wild type DPYD uh, allele patients from the ALPA DPD study. So they have that data and they're looking at that. So you're looking at kind of a historical control. Anytime you look at that, you introduce some bias. Um, you're also looking at some pretty small numbers here, 25, they, they do a, um, their first analysis is all the variant allele patients versus all of the, um, uh, the wild type patients. And for progression-free survival, there is, uh, you know, maybe a trend towards worsening PFS in the variant allele. Now that's probably driven by our wild type or not our wild type, but our wild card variant allele, uh, our overall survival Katmeier occurs for the wild type versus the variant allele, uh, Perfectly overlap. Now, if we look at the subgroups here of the variant allele, so we have the the star two A allele, which um, had uh, you know a decent amount of patients. Uh, PFS curves perfectly overlap. Overall survival curves perfectly overlap. But we're you know we're only talking about 25 patients in the star two A cohort. When we look at the uh, two eight four six 8, A to T uh, cohort, only 13 patients there. PFS curves. And, and and overall survival curves, you know, look pretty uh, pretty similar. But again, very wide confidence intervals because you only have uh, 13 patients. Now, when we look at what I ca- I'm going to call our wild card, this is the 1236G to A that I wanted to highlight. We have 61 patients in this this variant the cohort, which is a pretty decent number here. We have 93 overall. So this is, and again, this was the more common, 2.4% of Europeans. This is a Dutch study. You would expect this to be the most common variant allele identified in this study. So there is a trend, not just a trend, but a statistically significant decrease uh, in progression-free survival here with a hazard ratio of one43 um, you know, favoring the wild type here in, in these patients. And when we look at overall survival, uh, we don't see a statistically significant difference here, but there was a significant decrease in progression-free survival for those who got this empiric 25% dose reduction because of this variant allele, uh, uh, the, um, the one, two, three, six G to A. Now the, uh, the author's, uh, you know, conclusion here is that, uh, despite this 25% dose reduction in the the 1236 G to 8, there was greater toxicity um, in that, uh, that cohort compared to the wild type. 27% had severe toxicity compared to just 17%. That could just be noise, um, that could be higher. They go on to state that the vast majority, those 75% did not require any other dose reduction. And they hypothesize that in this one, two, three, six GA variant little cohort, that some of those patients should have had their dose increased from the 75% dose intensity. So 25% dose reduction, they're getting 75% of their capesidamine of the five of few compared to uh, what they should get. They're arguing that maybe this decrease in progression freeze arrival could be um, made up or mitigated by titrating the dose up uh, with subsequent cycles. Uh, they go on to suggests that this suggests that there's there's more to just this variant allele, uh, and there's some variability here in in exposure and toxicity within this variant allele. So this provides um, uh, you know or confirms I guess confirm is probably too strong of a word for such a small study, but it adds to the proof. You may feel more comfortable doing a 50% dose reduction for our star 2A patients. Okay, um, for our 2846. Um, A to T patients, just 13, but again, you feel a little bit better about that 25% empiric dose reduction. We do have some comparison data besides just tolerability. Now for this wild card, this one, two, three, six, G to A, 25% dose reduction seems okay, but I'd like to see more data, probably will come from the Dutch, um, about potentially um, playing with that dose a little bit more um, uh, and f- maybe not plain but fine-tuning it a little bit more and perhaps identifying are there other predictors of toxicity that we can go that we can identify maybe renal function in the Cape of cytobine folks who knows um, that can help us better fine-tune this um, the europeans will get to this before we do here in the states because they are genotyping um, pretty much everybody up front uh, prior to fluoroperating so uh, I'll, that's in the show notes. Uh, if you're really interested in pharmacogenomics it's a, it's a worthwhile paper uh, to have on hand and to read. Now the next paper I want to talk about is a, a good example of why I say, what do we say about a retrospective study? Huh, interesting. And that's kind of all that you should say. So this, is, um, this was published in JCO Precision Oncology and this is efficacy, bad choice of word in my opinion uh, of immune, and, and the reason is efficacy probably should be re- reserved for results of randomized controlled phase trials, effect, I'm gonna check, I'm gonna, I'm gonna edit for them, effect of immune checkpoint inhibition and cytotoxic chemotherapy in mismatch repair deficient and microsatellite instability high pancreatic cancer colon Mayo Clinic experience. Let's first of all talk about Mayo Clinic, wonderful hospital. Um, uh, there are some people there and i think it's rochester minnesota who go there all the time for the care but similar to places like md anderson in houston memorial Sloan Kettering cancer center in new york city there are people from all over the country who will travel to these well renowned cancer hospitals to get uh what they think is the, the latest and the greatest and the best care the people who are able to do that and travel travel probably are of the higher or highest socioeconomic ladder they probably have a very good performance status because to travel, you typically have to feel pretty well. So it is probably a, um, a more selected patient population just by sight um, uh, because of that reason, okay? So that's the first example of, of perhaps why retrospective studies are uh, obviously of lower quality than prospective and randomized controlled trials. So they're looking at, um, it's a retrospective, Review like chart review of patients with pancreatic cancer who got immune checkpoint inhibitors if they were mismatch repair deficient or MSI high. Some notable things here. All right, so about one, the authors say one to two percent of pancreatic cancer has mismatch repair deficiency or MSI high status. There was a basket study um, called KEYNOTE one fifty eight, which was a pembrolizumab study. So a basket study is you take a whole bunch of people with a certain genetic abnormality, and then you put them in different cohorts by disease state, right? So there will be cohort A, cohort B, cohort D, etc. So there's a basket study of pembrolizumab for a whole bunch of microsatellite instability, mismatch repair deficiency, okay? Now a basket study, you're looking at one mutation, different tumor types, is different from an umbrella study where you have one tumor type but different mutation, okay? So there's a basket study in the cohort of pancreatic cancer, just 22 people Four of them had a response, a response rate of 18.2%. If you look at the abstract of this study, you will see that the response rate in the metastatic setting, um, in the palliative setting here, is 75% with immune checkpoint. Inhibitors. You're like, whoa, wow, wowie, wowie. Uh, but you have to read a little bit further. In the methods, quote, investigator review was not available for every case in the series, therefore, response assessment uh, and evaluation criteria for cell tumors resist was not possible so we're literally not measuring apples to apples in the Keynote one fifty eight they used the standard response criteria of assessment resist here they're they're looking at basically did it get smaller and that was considered a partial response so very very different different comparison there um, that if you don't read that closely you will miss that they're just making up their response criteria not using the standard response criteria uh, so uh, obviously with uh, a different response uh, criteria and a lower bar it's going to be easier to say that these patients had a response now i do want to point out a couple perhaps actionable things uh, for folks uh, here in that if you look at those who had local regional management so potentially neoadjuvant chemo surgery maybe adjuvant treatment Uh, When you look at those who got cytotoxic chemo, the pathologic complete response rate was 33%, one out of three, low numbers. Uh, If you look at pathologic response rate, our CR, for those that got immune checkpoint inhibitors, it was 100%, two out of two, who were valuable and got to surgery. They did Pembro, Nevo, Nevo, Ipi, uh, and then Pembro, Gym, and paclitaxel one patient in each of those with actually three patients receiving Pembrolizumab. So very small numbers, very small data here in our... Uh, in our, our our palliative setting, you know, we have 10 patients receiving cytotoxic chemo, 18 patients receiving immune checkpoint inhibitors, um, and, and you, so you have that that you know overall response rate of, of 75%. I'm talking about now, the complete response rate with immune checkpoint inhibitors was four out of 18 or 20%. Uh, so that that's a you know a complete response to pancreatic cancer is uh, nothing laughable, and there are. You know, quite a few case reports out there uh, of patients with pancreatic cancer and mismatch repair deficiency or microsatellite instability who do very well with immune checkpoint inhibitors. So, there probably is something here. Uh, I doubt it is as uh, profound as, as what it's suggested here, just because they're using different response criteria. Um, and, and it's not as common here, but we certainly have seen immune checkpoint inhibitors have surprisingly great responses in the new adjuvant settings in rectal cancer. There's really promising data in colon cancer uh, as well as gastric cancer in, in the MSI high mismatch deficiency. Um, so this is, um, you know, the first one that I have seen in pancreatic cancer, and this is, the authors say, the largest uh, number of patients dis- to, uh, to date described, um, which I, I, I haven't had a chance to look to see if that's true, but... Um, but uh you know probably should be confirmed before trusting that however i think we're going to see more and more of you know these immune checkpoint inhibitors in in these msi high mismatch repair deficient states um i I do want to point out as we talk about genomics and 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 testing for genes is that there was a pretty high rate of discrepancy here um between mmr and msi high testing where they did looked for um, uh, MMR protein loss of expression via immunohistochemistry, uh, or they looked at uh, microsatellite instability, um, or they looked at uh, MMR gene uh, expression, like with next generation sequencing. There was a, a discordance where, like, one was positive, one was negative in 90% of everybody, and 26% of patients who they could evaluate, where they had you know full records. So, uh, I, a noisy study, um, but one that. Um, that adds a little bit of context. You know, both of these studies are, are not perfect. They're 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 flawed. Uh, in some case, in this pharmacogenomic study, it's flawed based on a small amount of patients to study. And I think they did the best that they could to try to provide us this information. Uh, this uh, ICI uh, paper. Uh, is, is flawed for other reasons, um, part of it being that it's, it's retrospective, that they're making up their assessments and not using standard assessments, and anytime you, if you've done retrospective chart review, you'd know that you encounter things, like, well, what did we do here? We didn't think that, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this assessment this way, uh, so it probably shouldn't be uh, used, uh, for example, to, to argue for uh, a new standard of care, certainly. But uh, I think it's, it's, worth, uh, it's worth talking about, something that um, we will see more and more of. And I think, uh, uh, especially for, for trainees, a good way, uh, a good lesson in uh, maybe not falling for the hype of retrospective studies. So that's what I have uh, this week for you. Be back next week with, uh, with something else. Um, you can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter at Farm You can follow me on. Uh, on uh, on X, Instagram, and threads at OncoFarmPod. You can follow the podcast that way. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.